Man has climbed Mount Everest, gone to the bottom of the ocean. He has fired rockets at the moon, split the atom, achieved miracles in every field of human endeavor, except podcasting. But that's what we're going to do today, as we're going to bring you episode 003 of A Review to a Kill, <laughs> which is a look back on the James Bond film franchise presented to you by fanboysanonymous.com and by us. I am Tony Mango. I've got with me Robert DeFelice. Are you expecting me to talk? <laughs> and Callum Wiggins. Uh, we are talking about Goldfinger today, one of the most iconic Bond films of all time, one of the arguably best of all time. Uh, we're going to see where we land on that one for at least different things, because there's definitely some bad to go along with some of the great that goes along with this. We invite you to join us on this journey the way that you've been joining us for episode 00 all the way through here because we did Dr. No, we did For Much With Love. Go back and check those out. We did our preliminary pre-watching all these all over again or for the first time in some cases uh, episode that we had done. So drop your comments below. Tell us your thoughts on this movie. Tell, your, tell us your thoughts on our thoughts on this movie. And uh, if you are not subscribed to us, subscribe to the YouTube channel, ring that little notification bell as well, hit the like button on the video, hit the share button if you have any Bond fans uh, that are friends of yours that you think would be interested in checking this out. Obviously, just to get some of these plugs out of the way too, if you want more from this podcast or anything else in particular, consider donating a buck or whatever you got uh, for your spare change on the Patreon, patreon.com slash fanboysanonymous. Check out the merchandise shops on TeePublic and Redbubble. Maybe putting up a, um, at least maybe the generic review to a kill logo as like a t-shirt option or something like that. But if you got any other ideas, let me know. I'd like to do some some Bond parodies on the uh, the merchandise shop side of things. You know, to pick up a t-shirt or a sticker or whatever it is on TeePublic or Redbubble. And follow us all over the place and check out everything else that's happening on those things. We'll round back around to the plugs a little bit later on. But first things first... General ideas here. What are you thinking? Uh, what is your, I guess, what was your first impressions going into and then exiting Goldfinger? Sounds weird. Uh, first impression. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have worded it that way at all. <laughs> I'm the Goldfinger going into you instead. <laughs> He's the man with the widest touch. The spider's touch. <laughs> My first impression going into it was, wow, Austin Powers did a very good job parrying this with <laughs> gold number. That was the first thing I thought of. Coming out of it, it's definitely the best of the first three. It's There's no doubting that. Yeah, I'd say it's probably has been the best one that we've seen so far. I kind of, my thought going into this is this is kind of going to be based on like the icon iconic theme, everything that surrounds it. I thought okay, this is going to be like the quintessential Bond movie. And coming out of it, I I can see I can see why people think that. I'll, I'll say that much for now. Yeah, this movie is, I mean, we talked about it with Dr. No, we talked about it with From Russia With Love. They're still getting the hang of certain things, which is expected because this is a 24 film, 25 eventually, uh, film franchise. They're not going to have every trope stamped out on movie number one, but they had a general idea. They took it in a, another direction for, uh, for Russia with love. And by the time you get to Goldfinger, 
you're really establishing a lot of the the go-to types of things. We know some of the characters, the way that they're going to interact with each other now. We've gotten to the point where, you know, they started off uh, Dr. No with the gun barrel. They continued the gun barrel in the second one. They didn't have to do that. They could have gone with a different type of intro. And they established that they're going to do gun barrel with the Bond theme from Dr. No. And then they're going to go into a pre-credit sequence and then go into the theme and then the rest of the movie. And they carry that on with this one. And to that point, it becomes, okay, two out of the three movies have done that. That's what we're doing going forward until you get to Daniel Craig and they're like, no, 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 let's let's not do that, you know, (laughs) for some reason. So this movie checks that off. It checks off a lot of other things and they really establish a tone for what the franchise is going to be going forward. This was massively successful. This movie was the thing that really put the series on the map. People loved it. It was critically acclaimed. It made a ton of money. Uh, One of those films that really just broke the bank as far as uh, the box office around that year. And it's one of the ones that they attribute to being one of the first, like, true blockbusters. Like, you mentioned Star Wars and Jaws and Goldfinger, really, are three of the main ones that people go back to when they say these started that whole Hollywood blockbuster trend. And um, there's there's great stuff in this movie. There are some problems, and we're going to try to break it down the best way that we can. We're going to try it as much as we can. I've been trying to clean these up a little bit to stick to our, our seven themes here of girls, gadgets, villains, music, action, humor. And I thought about it after we've done the previous ones. The really the seventh one should be in, instead of as much of like a general all-purpose recap because we're doing that anyway. It should be allies because that covers Money Penny and Q and M and the people like Quarrel and you know different people that are in the mix. So I think that those are our seven that we're really gonna kind of stick to. But uh, I do want to mention as far as like on the action side of things goes, we've got our pre-credit sequence and this is the first movie that takes it in a direction that sometimes they stick to sometimes they deviate from which is the pre-credit sequence doesn't have to necessarily be about the movie for it to be successful this is kind of bond doing a completely different mission we're we're catching him at the tail end of what another movie could have been although that movie probably wouldn't have had the most bombastic <laughs> ending because if that's the ending of the whole movie it's sort of uh, that's it like imagine we'll watch a whole other movie and it ends with uh he kills somebody in uh, a bathroom and that's it you know yeah and just blows up a fancy um greenhouse on the way yeah uh it's great um he's so cool in the beginning of it he's badass he's established he's comfortable and it's weird too because the first thing you see is that he's got uh, this pretend uh, like bird hat <laughs> and he's like scuba diving with this on it looks terrible but uh, yeah he blows up this place and he takes off his wetsuit and he's just got this now iconic white suit with this red rose on his lapel uh, he's got his you know um, his watch he's set to make sure that the bomb goes off and it explodes and uh he just seems so cool in that moment. Just 
Yeah, I've you know I fought Spectre a couple times, doing my thing. What are you guys thinking about this opening sequence? It's, you hit the nail it, on the head. Yeah, go ahead, Kyle. I was gonna say it blends nice elements of both the the action, the just establishing if you didn't already know already, this Bond is a spy and Bond does these cool things like gets into a wetsuit with a duck on his head and gets uh, finds a grappling hook into a wall when the rope just mysteriously appears next to the grappling hook <laughs> yeah. from somewhere afterwards. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't understand that side of things, but hey, camera trickery and what have you. And then he blows up a, uh, I think it's like a drugs, like a, a drug hideout essentially. And then underneath all of that wetsuit stuff, he's been wearing a tuxedo the entire time because he's just that cool goes into the bar, the bar clears out because of the explosion, and then he goes to do his usual thing, which is if he's not out there spying or fighting people, he's getting laid. So that's what he goes out to try and do. Sometimes and at the same time. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, yeah. Then he has to deal with an assassin, he throws him in the bathtub, he electrocutes him in the bathtub. Has a great line a great, of shocking, yeah, positively, positively shocking. shocking. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a... Uh, yeah, so it's like you basically hit all the like the very basic elements of what Bond is in one like five minute sequence. It's almost, it's almost like a short movie before the actual movie. I thought it was just the most Bond he's been thus far. Mm-hmm. And I really like how this set the tone for he's so in his element. And then the entire movie is people basically punking him out. <laughs> <laughs> he he does re- uh, never reaches the level of cool that he is in the beginning of the movie throughout the no. rest of the film anymore. Yeah. Well, no, he does not. I mean, that's most inter- one of the most interesting thematic things from my standpoint for the entire movie is that Bond for the entire movie, or pretty much the entire movie, is a hostage almost. Kind of, yeah. Whereas Just about, the, yeah. Well, obviously he's, obviously, he's captured in Doctor No as well. So there is that element to it as well. But this is where, basically, for a good two-thirds of this movie, he is under Goldfinger's lock and key, pretty much. And so that's a different take on it, Rob, than him having to snoop around, find out all this stuff. He's just right in the villain's clutches, pretty much, from very early on in the movie. And he still manages to keep control and have sex several times. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that takes us into the opening theme, which... Again, one of the most iconic, one of the best. It is such a good song. It's it's so, like, I'm going to be saying this a lot about a lot of this movie. It's just that this is the sort of thing that every single movie that's ever tried to be replicate Bond or parody Bond will always go back to. Yeah, it's pretty much the Bond song. Yeah, it's the Bond song, and there's a lot of other elements in it as well, which really just take, you can just see replicated in other mediums going forward and stuff like that but yeah this is you can see why they brought shirley bassey back time and time again like her voice is so powerful and it just yeah it just this is why they had to have you have to have singing versions of omnibus themes what it's why um her majesty's secret service just that sticks out like a sore thumb yeah uh this is not good uh just real quick because she kept going he loves gold, and I'm just like, oh, so they just, that's where Austin Powers got it from. They just ripped that right from the song, and it's perfect. Yeah, he flat out just goes, I love gold. <laughs> it's like, yeah. The lyrics are interesting, because this also sets this idea of, you can 
I mean, from Russia with Love has the opening theme is just the instrumental one, and then at the very end, you get the Matt Monroe's theme, and the lyrics are very straightforward. From Russia with Love, I fly to you much wiser than my goodbye to you, and it's pretty much just like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm in love with this person and whatever. But this one's just, she's talking about Goldfinger, but she's not really talking about Goldfinger because he really doesn't embody the ideas that she's talking about. Like, you know, uh, beckons you to enter his uh, web of sin, but don't go in. And like, he seems a lot cooler <laughs> in this song than he actually is. A great yeah. villain. Don't, don't, uh, we're going to talk about how awesome he is. But like, there's almost this like, sexier vibe to Goldfinger in the theme. And we get other examples of this with other uh, themes where, for instance, the very next movie, Thunderball, we're going to talk about Tom Jones is talking about Bond and he keeps saying like a Thunderball and whatever. It just makes no sense whatsoever. So it also establishes this idea. (laughs) It establishes this idea of the theme doesn't necessarily have to make any sense. (laughs) And it's still kind of cool. It's so good. It's not one of my top three favorites, but it's it's in my top ten. It's definitely one of the top best uh, as far as, like, it's not the one that I'll click on and I'll want to listen to on a random uh, day as much as some of the other ones. Like, I prefer maybe The Living Daylights or uh, Vito a Kill or something, but the uh, the theme is just unquestionably one of the best. And it also has another trend that's going on here of that big long note at the end. Uh, she almost passed out when she was recording this because they had the film playing with the opening title sequence for her to like try to match up her uh, cadence to. And she said that they like she thought that she was hitting the last note and it just kept going. <laughs> so she was just like, I just got to hold this note. And the only way that she was able to not pass out was she had to basically unstrap the outfit that she was in <laughs> to give herself more air. Uh, we'll talk about passing out of the Bond theme at the next movie too. It's the commitment you have to, you have to, you have to um, credit them for it. Yeah. At the, at this point, you're part of an iconic film franchise. I'm safe to say that by the third one, they're in that stage of like okay this is why we go to the movies yeah they were rushing these movies but at the same time they were popular enough that bond was a thing he was a star it was a star making vehicle you know you knew what you were getting into to a certain extent but they still didn't have any idea how big this movie was going to be it's it's, this is this their third movie in three years right i think so yeah about three or four years i almost basically feel like if bond had been like been held off and was released in today's era it'd be a netflix series rather than rather than a movie franchise kind of at that pace yeah because it got to a point where they started to do them every two or three years and then it got to the daniel craig era where it's like uh, every six years you might do a film because of some issues here and there which really has hurt daniel craig because he's done five movies over the course of 15 years and that seems insane if he would have pumped them out as much as this, he would have done way more films than anybody else would have. But um, they had a rapid pace here. They they knew what they were going for. They were working with previously established material, and they were still changing 
the books around a little bit here and there, but they were just uh, on a roll here and they were still changing things up. You know, I mean, this movie is different in some ways than the other movies. Uh, you have a different cast in some fashions, a different crew in some people. And um, they all bring their different flair to it. They, with the opening title sequence, we've got this whole gold silhouettes and they've projected clips of the movie onto it. Not my favorite of the bunch. I don't like the uh, showing clips of the movie that you haven't seen yet type of thing. I think it's fine, you know, like trying out something new and it's something, like you said, nobody's seen before. So it's almost like here's this really quick sneak peek of everything you're about to see and sit down and enjoy the ride. Yeah, it almost gave me some sort of like um, television series vibes. Like, okay, this is like, uh, oh, you're about to watch like Happy Days or something like that, where it's just like, it's just showing you a rundown <laughs> of different scenes from these the entire series, but you just, it's all scenes from a one hour, 50 minute movie that you're about to watch. So, so I wasn't against it. It's just, it is, it's different, unique, I think, pretty much for the almost the entire franchise. So, and that helps it stand out. And the golden silhouettes are just, again, very iconic. Yeah, and we'll get into um, with a even more iconic version of that a little bit after oh, yeah. uh, after that. You know the um the woman that was was the gold silhouette in the uh, opening credits. I don't remember who they used for that. Um, she's actually in the movie as well. It's um a, a woman called Dink. In, that's her character's name in the uh, movie. Oh, her, Dink was that okay? So yeah, she's the uh, massage that uh, Bond has when he's at the uh, Miami Hotel. She was the one used for the um for all the silhouettes at the start of it. At least you got more to do than that, because uh, when they established this, uh, I'm using the word establish a lot in this podcast. Um, they, after we do the uh, opening titles, we go into this um, Miami hotel scene, which was almost entirely filmed in London, of course, and on a set in Pinewood. And you can really tell after you notice uh, that that's the case because the actor who plays Felix Leiter is the only one who was filming <laughs> in Miami when they were filming like the plates for this. Every single shot of everybody else is a set. And after you find out that information, you can tell that there's not a single shot of like Connery that you can see like the sky or something. Um, We've got Felix and we've got Dink, who is unceremoniously immediately thrown away because she's just given Bond a massage. And he says, hey, here's Dink. Dink, say goodbye to Felix. Man talks, slaps her on the butt and tells her to leave. <laughs> Not holding up the Poor way that, uh, <laughs> that things hold up these days when we look at it through a 2020 lens no. or a 2010 lens or a 2000 lens or a 1990 <laughs> lens. <laughs> I mean, you kind of give it, get the impression that it's like she did all this advertising for the movies. Like she was in the opening credits and she was in the the promotional posters going into it. So thought, okay, let's give her a little thing in the movie as well, even though she's not going to be in it for too much longer. It's still just the, it, you know, it's one of those things where in retrospect they could have done that a lot better of like, hey, Dink, uh, which I hate that her name's Dink because I just immediately think of Doink the Clown every single time. <laughs> And uh, she could have just been like, oh, hey, uh, could you go get us another bottle of 
champagne. I, I got got to talk to my friend here about some business or something. And then she would have been like, okay, you know, but she never comes back. He busies yeah. himself with somebody else later on. You know, it's just uh poor Dick. This is the beginning of, of like Bond is peak Dick in this movie. Like he really, <laughs> there's a lot here where it's just like, ugh, that doesn't age well. Now, if you change one letter in Dink, you get Dick. So of course he's. Uh, I I've said before in the previous episodes, and I'll say it in future episodes. James Bond being an asshole is one of my favorite things. This is not one of those moments. I don't really like this whole man talk slapper on the butt kind of thing. And oh, we're gonna get into a lot of this kind of this movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this movie is one of the worst when it comes to complete misogyny. And that's one of the things that's uh, we can ding it on. Ding. Dink. Dick. There's a lot of things that are very close to this. I will also say, as far as allies go, this is my least favorite Felix Leiter of the whole franchise. He seems just so much older and stupid. <laughs> yeah, he seems like a... Um... Like just a detective that's been on the force for way too long, like a PI or something like that, and I don't know, some sort of Chief Wigan vibes almost. Yeah, like, maybe not that far, <laughs> oh, but like, but like he is, he is just like he doesn't feel like he has any real initiative himself. Yeah, he he really does seem a little more goofy, but I think, and I could be wrong here, but they seem like they were trying things. Maybe they were embellishing certain elements of people's characters to make it more over the top. Yeah, I mean, they make Bond look better by being associated with Felix, by making Felix look worse. That's one thing. But to me, after Dr. No, you've got, like, he's kind of a cool guy. And then this one's just sort of... I mean, later on in the movie, they address this whole thing where Bond is being trotted around by Goldfinger as, well, these guys are trying to see if Bond is okay. Let's just have it seem like he's hanging out with Pussy Galore. And uh, Felix is just like, there's my dreams. Oh, he'll he'll let us know if he's in trouble, even though he's activated the beacon that lets us know if he's in trouble. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah. it's dumb. I, I yeah, I prefer the idea of Felix being someone who's like a counterpart to mm -hmm. Bond rather than someone who's his essential like sidekick or a meat puppet that he can use. Yeah, this is definitely my least favorite Felix. And he's not good in some future movies, too. Like, the Living Daylights version <clears throat> of Felix is kind of just like, oh, hey, Bond, and then he leaves, <laughs> which is like utterly pointless. But we get so much better Felix action in License to Kill, in um, well, even in Quantum of Solace, even, you know, and I'm pretty sure we're going to get better Felix in No Time to Die. But we'll come back to Felix a little bit later on, too. Um, I enjoy a lot of this Miami stuff. I love Bond stealing the room key and just telling the girl, you're sweet. <laughs> you know, like, That's Mr. Yeah, Goldfinger's I, I, room. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, like, can I can I retroactively go back and give that hotel a pretty that damaging review about how they're... How they're... <laughs> The hotel staff just like lets people steal their keys and go into other people's rooms and just do whatever they want in there. Like, he could be doing anything in that room for whatsoever. It's like, and apparently, like Goldfinger's an important man. But like, okay, he's just gonna steal my key and just go in. That's fine. And he gets his comeuppance later on. So he gets in his room. So, you know, 
Fair's fair. Just because, yeah, just because um, like we kind of skipped over it a little bit. Like the first impression that we get of Goldfinger, again, like like you mentioned, completely not in meshing with what uh, Shirley Bassey says about him in the song. He's this portly, <laughs> like, doesn't look like he could damage anybody. Sort of just he looks essentially what you get the theme of throughout this movie is that he's a good villain, but he's also a very ineffective villain. <laughs> He seems like he's compensating. He yeah, I mean, he's an intelligent man. He's an inte- like he's intelligent. He's clearly got a lot of like he's got evil characteristics and vindictive. But he himself can't actually apply that sort of things. He has obviously his henchmen and his bodyguards do that for him. But when it when it would even get to a situation where it's just him against Bond, you just know what the outcome of that is going to be because you see it basically in this opening footage in the first place. And he's playing yeah. cards with uh, somebody and. That's not the most like um intimidating vibe where it's like he's you know wearing shorts and he's got this like hearing aid looking thing in and he's just like, you know, hey, um like let's let's play some cards, pal. <laughs> yeah. What's what's I mean, the intimidation factor is immediately gone away by the fact that he's walking around in public. The fact that like he's clearly not either a pronounced villain or villain of any real note in the fact that he's just allowed to walk among people and not have any sort of like any warrant out against him or anything like that he's just a guy well i think the idea was that he's a more cerebral maybe not the word i'm looking for but he's kind of like a tycoon type of villain where he's allowed to roam in public but he's a mastermind of you know the highest levels like how big corporation heads are often seen as villains, like Jeff Bezos in a way is seen as a villain to some just because do you really need this much money? Do you really need to be this prominent in life? Uh, I have maintained for years now that Elon Musk is a James Bond villain. Yeah. He very much is. <laughs> now, I don't know too much about the guy personally. I know he's uh, he's got some eccentricities, but you run down the list of what a lot of Bond villains are. He kind of checks off a lot of the things. He's a, a billionaire who has a lot of eccentric ideas. He's just sort of like, I'll just make flamethrowers and we'll go to Mars. And uh, SpaceX is going to fire a laser. I wouldn't put it past them if it turns out that it's made out of diamonds or something like that. Like it could happen. It's just he's either going to be Iron Man or he's going to be Blofeld. <laughs> it's one or the other. <laughs> Just waiting for the day where it comes down to uh, it turns out that this whole time he's had a fake eye or, you know, one of the because they almost all have like some kind of facial scarring or whatever. Although he did have male pattern baldness that he fixed. So I don't know if that counts as like a, a, a head kind of thing. <laughs> we'll get into that another day, I guess. Um, but yeah, he's not uh, the most intimidating one, and he is cheating with the help of Jill Masterson, who is hot. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but at this point, the best looking Bond girl in my mind. She's just hanging out in a bikini, just looking at the other guy's cards and going, "Up oh, now, he's got the Ace Clubs or something." <laughs> just sort of telling him. And Bond just it took me a while to figure out they were playing gin. Yeah. But I'm not a huge card player, so I guess that's that's part of the reason. Me neither, and that's uh that's why you're not gonna hear any kind of extra notes from me about like the baccarat type stuff, because 
when they start getting into that, I'm like, oh, uh, Sweevy, yes, okay, uh, the Banco. <laughs> Just, sure, whatever. <laughs> Jen, I can understand a little bit more. <laughs> but he's uh, he's such a dick here because it's like he, he doesn't – Goldfinger hasn't done anything at this point. Like, we know that he's the villain because he's you – know, the movie's named after him. And it's established like he's looking after Goldfinger. But we haven't seen Goldfinger kill anybody. He hasn't ordered anything crazy to happen. He has nothing to do with that opening sequence whatsoever. It's not like he was blowing up Goldfeld's hey, – Goldfeld's. Wow. I'm just merging him in uh, Blofeld. Goldfinger's drug den or something. So Bond just fucks with them, <laughs> seemingly for no reason. By uh, he's like, hey, you know, Jill, you're you're good looking. You want to fuck instead of uh, helping Goldfinger there? <laughs> and he literally like fucks this guy's game up, and then goes, "All right, now that I've just been like leaning on top of you to screw your boss over here, you want to fuck?" <laughs> She's like, "I kind of like yeah. you." <laughs> I mean, I mean. In defense of Bond, it's just something I'm not going to be saying a lot of times throughout this uh, series, I imagine. The guy was cheating this guy out of money. Yeah. So he was cheating. So Bond was just getting his own back for it. So I don't like people that cheat at cards. And now you're going to start losing some money because you've already taken this guy to the cleaners probably many times before. Poor uh, sad sap. He's just like, oh, this must be my lucky day. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of. Jen, yeah, he's all again, happy. that does not warrant fucking his girlfriend afterwards, but that's like yeah. another, a whole nother thing. That's just Bond being Bond, so. And that leads us to eventually this whole, there's this weird moment where um, they've, post-coitus already, uh, he's had a situation where the champagne's gone warm. And he's like, oh, you know, well, there's some things you just don't do. You don't drink uh, Dom Perignon, whatever, with a without it being chilled. Just like listening to the Beatles without it's like, <laughs> That's my, that it's like listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, a gentleman would never listen to that riff rap. The like the, what? That took this me. Is when you know the Beatles are over. Right. <laughs> if Bond is such a snooty jerk with so many things. And he has a real snooty moment a little bit later on. Um, but for him to just bring up the Beatles like that, it's just, I tried thinking about what the equivalent of that would be in other sections of this franchise. Like what Roger Moore would say of like, you know, 1970 something of being like, well, it's just like listening to and Absolutely. such and such. Yeah. Or like uh, for Brosnan to be like, that's listening to, um, Nirvana, <laughs> like you know, it's just sort of odd. It's just a weird line. It, it dates it horribly, too. But we get a great thing here where Odd Job, uh, Karate Chops Bond. We get the first appearance of Odd Job, which will I think we're gonna hold off on because uh, he doesn't do much here. But um, he actually hit Connery. Uh, Harold Sakata is a former pro wrestler and he didn't know how to pull his punch as much so he he hit Connery in that scene and oh, sorry, that sentence again? <laughs> he was a no, pro no. wrestler who didn't pull his punches yeah he was a, yeah. He was a Japanese um, like a pro wrestler and uh, I think he was bodybuilder and weightlifter at some point as well because I think he competed at the Olympics at one point and uh, yeah it's just again 
this is funny enough because they mention later on about the fact that uh, they don't speak. He doesn't. He, he um he's mute. Obviously, obviously we'll talk a little bit more on job afterwards. But mentions that he's uh, from Korea. It's like, can you just say he's from Japan? Like, what's what's the issue about how he has to be from Korea when you've got a Japanese guy playing it, and not even a Japanese guy, an American Japanese guy, yeah, guy who, who just speaks American. <laughs> he represented America at the Olympics. He didn't represent Japan. <laughs> nah, he's Korean. Well, Americans. A weird approach to some elements of this movie because um, we get a scene afterward where Bond wakes up and he notices that Jill's dead and she is on the bed completely covered in gold. And they've talked about this on the commentary. I listened to the commentary track. Uh, Director Guy Hamilton said, like, generally speaking, the American and the UK censors just disagree fundamentally about what they pay attention to. And this sort of sequence was one of those ones that was really like kind of an eye opener because the UK censors are like, oh, sex is fine, but violence is terrible. And the American ones are like, oh, you can kill anybody, but sex, I don't know. <laughs> so they made a big fuss about this because you you don't see her completely naked. You know, it's not like she's got like her boobs hanging out or something like that but she is naked and obviously that's very clear because you could you have to see that she's naked in order to see that she's been painted gold so they had to like film it in a tricky kind of way to get past the sensors and everything and it's this is one of those odd things that it's like i as an american i don't understand it either i don't understand this idea that like it's we could talk about it as on a whole another discussion we could have a whole five hour long podcast about the MPAA and how weird they are, but you can pretty much kill a hundred people in a movie and have blood all over the place. And they'll be like, yeah, it's PG 13. And then you've got like a scene of say like a woman masturbating and they're like, that's rated R. I don't know. I don't like that. It's just, it's really, I, I don't get it. So this shot alone is one of the best in the franchise. It's one of the most iconic and it's total bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> because skin yeah. suffocation is not a thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was the most amazing thing when he just says it's like you died of skin suffocation. It's just what the fuck is that? It's like, oh, <laughs> like these um what would say like belly dancers or like exotic dancers that used to get covered in paint and stuff like that would always leave a little patch on their lower back to let the skin breathe. <laughs> it's, like, the skin the breathe. <laughs> it's not in the it's slightest like it's bit of or anything. I like it. Like, I it's dumb. It's it's like I said. This movie seems to really experiment with just being like, I don't know, things that sound like they would make sense. It does sound like it would make sense to a certain extent because you know that you have pores, but they've, they've tested this. They, you know, it's just it's definitively not a thing. And it just it just couldn't they just said that like. We strangled her, and then we cut. We covered her in gold paint as like our calling card. Instead, why does the gold paint have to be the thing that actually kills her? Yeah, like oh, uh, they sent a message by painting her in gold, you know, that kind of thing. And they did send a message by doing that, but it's, you know, we just got that odd job. One chop knocked out Bond for at least you got to assume fifteen minutes, which he'd be like, you know, brain dead at that point. But that's, you know, every movie does that kind of thing where it's like they've been unconscious for the last couple of hours and they're fine. Um, Which is one of those things where like this, this kill, like you say, it is an iconic like scene, an iconic death in the Bond franchise, but it's like, 
no, it doesn't happen to anyone else in the movie at all beyond this point this is the only one who gets covered in gold paint you kind of feel like well surely and I, again don't want to go too far ahead and stuff like that but the thing where bond is being held on the table which we'll talk about with the laser just feel like surely it should have been a thing where bond is being held over somewhere where gold paint is going to be poured onto him or he's going to be in like <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of that like, again a wrestling reference again so, sorry that's kind of the only thing that i know what to talk about with these guys it's just like the pool bearer in the cement from that uh, great american bash thing like you would it's just that with gold paint rising up instead or he'd be, be like, like chained up and lowered down into a vat yeah. of gold that's like you know he's gonna drown in it where it tied yeah. up like a uh, honey rider was where she was on the ramp for some reason mm. it's you know that's yeah with water just lapping at her feet like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, maybe a fish once in a while um we transition to a thing with uh we get our our group of allies we've got m and he, for the first time, mentions, well, you know what? If you're not down for this and you, you're going to make this a personal revenge mission, I can get 008 to replace you. We have still not seen 008. And I am fine with that. I love this idea that this there's this perpetual thing without the franchise with uh, multiple 00s get killed. 008 never is referenced to die, is never referenced as a failure nothing it's like oh you know poor 002 he died with whatever uh poor 004 gets killed up uh, or 009 whatever 008 is perpetually always good it seems and i just want them to keep this thing going of like he might i mean she maybe it depends sometimes they the context is definitely a he 008 might be better than bond well he says he in this movie. Yeah, I mean, they in other movies, if they reference 008, it's not necessarily a he or she, so it's changed. It, it could be a different one. That's fair. But I, I always picture 008 being a guy. I always pictured if they ever bring 008 into the franchise, he should be like, maybe like a black guy, or like uh, like everybody talked about Idris Elba being a, a James Bond. I'm like, I'd love to see Idris Elba as a 008, who's just, just as good, if not better than Bond in a lot of ways, just to kind of change it up a little bit, because every single double O that we see in these movies up until no time to die is just a white guy. And I'd love to see, you know, a female or, you know, an Asian or, you know, different um, ethnicities, different backgrounds. I love this reference to double O eight though. It's just like, Oh, I'll get double O eight to replace you then. Yeah. He sounds like, um, like double eight sounds like someone who does essentially like as good a job as bond in terms of getting the results and stuff like that but doesn't go through all the reckless shenanigans that bond yeah. finds himself stuck in in the process he just gets in gets out like you couldn't make a movie out of 008 because he's just too efficient at what he does he's uh he's the good student yeah he gets the job and done he doesn't deal with a bunch of bullshit m isn't like oh god what's 008 up to now he's being you know uh sub- insubordinate Double O eight's just sort of like I'll, I'll punch in my card, I'll do the job, and I'll punch out. Yeah, you can you can tell by even just this small reference to him that Bond is a bit. Not, I wouldn't say intimidated by him, but he just doesn't want him involved in this sort of thing because he knows that he could probably do the job as well as he could, but he wants he he wants his own glory and stuff like that as well. So I do but think that. Where, go ahead. Where's the fun in that? You know, gallivanting around with a bunch of women. Where's the fun? We'll come back to this a little bit in Goldeneye because I've always thought 
maybe they missed an opportunity for 008 to be there instead of 006, but eh, put a pin in it. I love the relationship between Bond and Money Penny, of course. I love that uh, he says, you know, what do you know about gold? And she's like, oh, the only thing I know is about the type that you wear, the third finger of your left hand. <laughs> like, you know, just sort of, they're so good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a really um, friendly, flirtatious relationship. Actually, Easily actually, one of my favorite pairings ever in any franchise. And I've just really started taking a deep dive. Oh, it? But I would mention about the um, relationship with M. It's a lot more contentious in this movie than it's been previously. There's a lot well, more yeah. kind. There's a lot more kind of animosity between them. Like M being very strict. I mean, M has previously been obviously strict with Bond, like taking his gun away and stuff like that. But it's been a bit more done in almost playfully. Almost it's just like a case of okay, that's just Bond. Whereas this one, he feels like he's being very strict with him. Like, you guys ever I- deal with children? <laughs> like you know where. You wanted to play around with them the first time, second time, it's like, all right, just keep doing you, you little scamp. And then the third time, it's like, fucking stop. <laughs> just stop. And that's where M is here, and I can understand that. I'm blanking on which movie it is. It's one of the Roger Moore ones, if I remember correctly. It might be Spy Who Loved Me, or The Man with the Golden Gun. But he, M is just pissed in that movie more than ever. And he even gets mad at Q, and he's just like, "Oh, shut up, Q!" Like, just like, "Shut the fuck up, everybody!" Like, and this is—he's—he's he's more pissed in this one too. They have that whole scene where they're talking about Goldfinger and Bond as, um, like, he's being kind of snooty about the wine or whatever it is, and showing off that he knows this about gold and he knows this, whatever like that. And he goes to grab the gold brick that they're going to use as like a bait for Goldfinger, and M's just like. Like, if, if fucking hold on. Uh, you're going to take that from Q Branch later on, ass. <laughs> like, just sort of. Yeah, they they don't go uh, get along all that well in this movie. But I like it. Yeah. I didn't I yeah. didn't expect us to get references to uh, Nazi gold yeah. in, this, uh, in this franchise. But... Well, the Nazi thing is interesting because uh, Gert Frobe, I think it's how you pronounce it, the man who plays Goldfinger is German. And there was this weird thing going on during the um during the film's release where people mistakenly thought that he actually was a former Nazi. And that was like starting to hurt his reputation because people were like, oh, you know, here's this Nazi in this movie. We're not gonna go see it. It turns out it's like the opposite. He was actually like helping. I think it was um, like refugees or something. And he was this like super nice dude. Everybody that has worked on this movie has only said like positive things about him. And then it was like, oh, oh no, now we're actually going to go see the movie because this guy's actually pretty, pretty awesome. He, uh, he's not a Nazi. Uh, His character is not a Nazi, but he's crazy, but that's a character. Um, He's of course dubbed like a lot of other people are. And I honestly think it's one of the better dubbing jobs that they've done. Yeah, I can tell. So. Huh. If you, if you pay attention mouth. to his, uh, to his mouth in certain scenes, you can see that he's enunciating very like, hello, this is pussy galore. Like that kind of thing. Like, but he's great. 
And uh, I love the voice that they they picked for him and everything. Of course, a couple other people are dubbed as well because they just loved dubbing people in these films back then. Uh, I'm pretty sure that Nikki Vanderzil dubbed somebody in this movie. Um, so let's go to a talk about another ally, Q. This is really where Q starts getting into things because we get this setup of literally the James Bond car, the Aston Martin DB5. It's the most iconic one. They've brought it back in multiple other movies, even if it's made no sense whatsoever. And we'll get to that when it comes to Skyfall. Um, they throw so much shit into this car and they actually were going to include more stuff. You've got a homing beacon, which is just sort of like, here's a little tiny homing beacon. You could put it in your shoe and here's another one. You can put it somewhere else. Okay. Here's the car. You got a GPS tracker. You got revolving license plates. You got a smoke screen. You got machine guns. You got an oil slick. You got this little Ben-Hur looking thing that can fuck up Tilly's car later on. They were going to include spikes and uh, this section that was going to have like a a gun in it uh, and ammo and then this and that and that. And they eventually decided that they were going to, they just had to cut some of the stuff and some of the things that they had cut, they thought that they were eventually like going to run into issues where people were going to try to replicate it <laughs> in their cars. Like, uh, I don't think people could do the smoke screen or whatever, but the biggest one with this is of course the ejector seat. And when bond is playing around with things and Q's sort of just like, you know, pay attention, whatever. And he mentions the ejector seat bond goes ejector seat. You're joking. We get a great Q line of, I never joke about my work. 007. He definitely does in the future <laughs> a lot, but Q, uh, chef's kiss when it comes to Q. Fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah. It's an awesome character. It's awesomely played here very i mean he's strict with bond but he's not like overly so but he's just very much like the the iconic lines of make sure you bring this back in one piece like do try to keep bring this back in one piece this time because you, you're establishing the fact that bond is a little bit careless with the stuff that he does and he kind of goes on to prove that with how he actually treats the db5 in the movie itself but yeah it's just the db5 is just it's one of the best looking cars of all time and we'll talk about the the car sequence a little bit later on. Let's talk about golf. <laughs> it's uh, normally not the most fun thing to watch, but I enjoy every bit of this golf sequence. Um, this is actually where Connery first learned how to play golf, and he became totally obsessed with it. It became one of his like great passions. It was just playing golf. Um, we get this whole thing where... Uh, Bond is playing Goldfinger. They've set up this game between the two, and it's very clear that Goldfinger is cheating, so Bond cheats as well. They got this Slazenger 7, Slazenger 1 type thing. And uh, I like the caddy. He's kind of a fun little side uh, person. And we get a little bit more of our job playing around here, just going, ah, and, and things. Bond fucks over uh, Goldfinger with this idea of Oh, well, that's not your ball. Oh, that means, must mean that you forfeit the hole and, and such the entire match. <laughs> it's <laughs> such a dick. I love it so much. Yeah. He's, he really is very childish in this one, though. Almost he, like... Go ahead. 
as I say, you get the sense with this well, after this exchange because obviously he does the again. Again, it's it's it is childish, but he is just getting back at Goldfinger because Goldfinger's already cheating, so he's just doing what he is back to him essentially, and like the I'm your I'm rubber, your glue type type argument probably, <laughs> and then. And and then at the end of it, like Goldfinger gives him the money that they wagered on this entire thing, and this is like twice in a row that that Bond has gotten one over on supposedly the main villain on this move of this movie, and the villain's done pretty much nothing in retaliation to it. Yeah, he says so, I forget exactly the the line, but it's something like our paths have crossed twice before. Like this shouldn't happen again, and if it happens again, this is what's going to happen to you. And Oddjob takes off his hat, throws it at a statue, and decapitates the fucking thing. Uh, and they break the arm um, when it falls down. Uh, there's a great little thing where he's like, I, I don't know what the uh, country club's going to say about this. And he's like, well, I, I fucking own the place. So, like, who cares? So we get our shot of of Odd Job with that. And this is, I guess, the best time that we should talk about Odd Job. If not the best henchman, he's very close. Like, maybe the runner-up. It's like Odd Job and Jaws, essentially, are the two best ones. He is so fucking cool. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned he was a wrestler because the entire time I'm like, this guy is almost the prototype bad guy for like Hulk Hogan to body slam and <laughs> drop a leg and get cheered. And he he was a lot of fun, but he was also just the dumb meathead villain. And I kept waiting to see, okay, when are you going to get your comeuppance? Came in a way I didn't expect. I'll say that right now. But I really enjoyed Oddjob. Yeah, Oddjob has probably been the best just villain overall in terms of just his characterization in this one that I think I've seen so far. And it's obviously he is a meathead and he's mute and so he doesn't have that side of his character, but he make, more than makes up with him just being a presence. And he's the one, obviously, because Goldfinger is very portly and old, so he's not going to be a physical match to Bond. So this is the guy that has to deal with the slack for him and they establish right away that this guy is dangerous. And that hat, that hat is just... Can I buy that hat? They sell uh, versions of that hat, not with like the razor trimmed, obviously. But no, 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 that's the only reason you need that hat. <laughs> Throw a hat, kill a person. And again, of yeah, course, it's... there's no way that that makes any sense. You're not throwing a hat at such force that it cuts through a statue like that. But it, you know, who fucking cares? <laughs> yeah, but it's just like it's just such a cool prop to use for this type of thing as well. Because even though he is just like this, this super strong wrestler, his biggest threat is the fact that he wears a hat that can chop you in half essentially and odd job is not at all a tiny guy and for some reason in the golden eye video game they made him like you know three foot tall they totally mixed him up with knickknack save him for man with the golden gun but uh they also establish his just pure strength when it comes to crushing the golf ball and connery apparently was like this is fucking dumb don't film this there's no way anybody can crush a golf ball and whatever. And the director had to be like, yeah, it's kind of the point, dude. <laughs> like, of course he can't crush a golf ball. We want to establish that he's that strong that eventually when he gets to you, he's going to, you know, crush your head. Like, it's fantasy. Come on, Sean. <laughs> like, yeah, kind of like, 
I love that little note though that Connery's just like bullshit. <laughs> like, you know, we, we doesn't say that about throwing the hat. <laughs> we kind of buys into the whole idea of like the the thing we we're talking about and Doctor No about Connery just saying his own name when he's born. I don't think he really had this acting thing down yeah. quite 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 what he needed to at this point. Yeah, it's just uh, it's one of those funny things. Uh, let's talk about some car stuff, some action side of things. Uh, car goes off the side of the road. Doesn't crash or anything. Flat out explodes. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, that's a it's drive a now. Yeah, it, just... it explodes yeah, from an oil slick. <laughs> yeah, I know. They just love this whole thing of just like, like as soon as it just hits the the side of the curb, like just before it's just going to go down the cliff, you just got to hit the detonator button or anything. We just can't wait for it to fall down slightly <laughs> yeah. further. It like. You would assume if somebody accidentally like slammed their car door the way that these uh, cars are made, that it would just blow up and just be engulfed in flames. <laughs> like, oh no, you you hit the uh, the stick shift a little bit too quick. <laughs> whole fucking thing goes up. Uh, we get um, we're at this whole sequence. Uh, we've skipped over a lot of stuff because we don't need to talk about every single scene, but we get introduced to this other character. Uh, Tilly Soames, or, well, Tilly Masterson, who is trying to kill Goldfinger because she's Jill Masterson's sister, and, you know, why wouldn't she want to kill the person who killed uh, her sister? Yeah, I don't know how she necessarily knows that that's the case, but I like that we get this subversion where, at this point in the movie, we haven't been really going through the Bond women in a way that makes it seem like one of them is going to be the main character. You know, Dink is immediately cast aside, slapped on the button, never seen again. The girl in the hotel is just, uh, hey, thanks for letting me break into his room. You're very sweet. Fuck off now. Jill's dead. So in any other movie, you would be going, oh, okay, this is the main Bond girl. She's got a reason to go after Goldfinger. She's got a tie in with Jill. She's, of course, you know, beautiful woman. She seems like she can kind of take care of herself because she's got this like rifle and she's out for revenge and all this. We haven't met Pussy Galore yet. So she's clearly going to stick with Bond for the rest of the movie, right? Yeah, that's what I was expecting. And then I was clearly wrong. And she gets a hat to the face. <laughs> so. I feel bad. Like, she doesn't get the vengeance. No, no, you're dead too. Yeah, both Masterson girls bite the bullet. Uh, I mean, no. Um, the hat, but you know, that's not really <laughs> one gets painted, the other one gets hat. But uh, that sucks for them, man. The bed, by the way, we didn't talk about that. No paint on the bed, just all perfectly done. Just like the fact that her head is clearly stronger than marble, that's it true. Come off, <laughs> just knocks her out. And... No blood either. No, yeah, so she just she just knocked out by his hat. Maybe, maybe, you can just hat the side of it instead. yeah, he he got the uh, he made sure that he threw the blunt top part of it <laughs> and uh, just knocked her in the head and gave her a concussion or whatever and killed her that way. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a shame, but like they already mentioned the fact that like, cause they did the sequence earlier where she tried to take a shot at Goldfinger and she almost shot Bond. So Bond thought that she was after him instead because she just really is a terrible shot with it. And actually it's Bond himself that really gets them into trouble because he stops her from shooting, which makes her gun set off the tripwire, which makes them alerted to the fact there's someone out there. Because again, Bond gets outsmarted a lot in this film. Bond, yeah, Bond is ve- is very uncharacteristically inept in certain places in this movie. 
Yeah, and it's just a shame that a lot of other people get to suffer because of it, because Tilly arguably could have killed Goldfinger and this whole thing wouldn't have happened and she would have felt a little bit of, you know, not, it doesn't make up for the fact that your sister was dead, but at least it's like, all right, well, I killed that guy. So, you know, it it serves its purpose and instead she gets killed too and Bond's just kind of like, that sucks. All right. And he jokes about it later. Yeah, he doesn't get to to bed (laughs) Tilly, but he jokes. I didn't have sex with that one. Later on, he says, uh, with a pussy galore, he goes, matters, odd job. I thought you always took your hat off for a lady. (laughs) It's like, dude, like two days ago, this woman died. Maybe don't be a dick like that. (laughs) Well, there's no emotional connection because, again... The only woman in the film he didn't have sex with. Uh, it's just like, I don't know, it's, it's another moment of being like, all right, Bond's an asshole. I don't endorse that one. <laughs> it's a funny line, though, <laughs> I have to admit. You want to talk about the old grandma with the machine gun? <laughs> yeah, that is fucking ridiculous. I thought that was like, I thought that was like, like grandma, grandma Goldfinger. Because she looks kind of like she could kind of be part of his family or something like that. If he's Auric Goldfinger, what other kind of goldish uh, pun can we give her? Um, oh, I'm trying to think if there's anything like that. Uh, Karat. <laughs> That's what I, I was trying to think of. Where to say carrot? There you go. Yeah. yeah, baby. I don't understand the grandma. Like we have this car sequence going on, and it's fantastic. You know, the guy gets shot out with the ele- ejector seat. Oh, we and... have to talk about that because he goes like two feet in the air out of the ejector seat. Like, if, imagine this was a scenario where he is trying to escape and he's trying to use the ejector seat to get out of it. He wouldn't get anywhere with it. He just like, <laughs> just flies out at like like two meters in the air, then he just lands straight head first on the ground. The dummy that takes the, the dummy's ball, funny. Hilarious, yeah. It's so it's, yeah, it's such It's the crappiest ejector seat in history. <laughs> Because he doesn't even get high enough for anything. He's got a parachute attached to the side of the the the, uh, the chair that goes up. Like, how high was I expecting it to go up that they actually needed a parachute? <laughs> Great sequence, though. You know, oil slick. You got the, oh, funny as fuck. Yeah, the gun, funny. whatever. But I don't get the grandma. No. no. Again, maybe it's just a case of... Was that like a popular oh, thing in British... Media at the what? time? Hey, let's what? have this grandmother. I don't think it's like a popular medium in terms of like the British side of things. I think it's just a case of you had him come up to the um the uh was it like the little gate thing and she's manning it essentially. She just be oh it's just a little old lady lady, she can't be harmless. So when Bond goes to drive back towards her and she's shooting him with a machine gun, it's like, okay, Bond's really like just stuck here because he can't even get past the old lady at this point. Yeah. She's kind um, of the reason that he gets captured. It's just yeah, like, oh, much. fuck, old grandma's got a machine gun, and yeah. I, it would have been kind of funny if he would have killed her. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, imagine he just <laughs> takes on the, uh, you know, the machine guns from the car. It's just like, all right, I'm going to mow down this old bitch. <laughs> like, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> that's the way that Bond is at that point. Like, <laughs> But then there's the big climax of the chase, which essentially Bond is trapped down like a narrow corridor with a car in front of him. So it's basically a game of chicken. And Bond chickens out. He drives <laughs> into the wall. <laughs> yeah. It's not, not his best uh, moment. But it leads to one of the best moments. Mm. Which is, he's strapped on a chair. Or, not a chair. On a um, a flat a slab, uh, yeah. slab. And 
again, another totally iconic scene. Uh, Goldfinger establishes, again, I'm saying that. Why is that the word of the day? I don't know. He sets up this idea that this is a laser that he uses to uh, cut through gold, and he's on you know this gold type of thing, and um, lasers were this kind of interesting thing at the time where all they knew is that it could project a surface on the, the moon, so they were like, oh, I could do that, and yeah, I could cut things. Sure. You know. Lasers. Lasers are lasers, and that's, that's fun. And uh, in the book, it's apparently a buzzsaw. So I'm glad that they went with the laser thing, because I think that that's more interesting. Was the buzzsaw dripping gold? I think it's just a buzzsaw. Oh, it's not fun. Yeah, it's just like, uh, you can do that with anything. It, later on in the franchise, we see somebody can carry a buzzsaw, which is absolutely absurd. But uh, now, The idea of a buzzsaw coming very close to Bond's crotch would lead to some interesting uh, negotiations from him, because he seems legitimately afraid for his life. This is pretty much the first time in the series that he's just like, oh, fuck. Oh, no. Oh, no. Because <laughs> it's like, don't oh, cut no, off my dick. And the only thing that saves him is the fact that in the in a previous sequence, he overheard uh, Goldfinger and uh, Mr. Ling talk about uh, Operation Grand Slam. And he didn't hear anything about the plant other than the fact that he just heard the name Operation Grand Slam. Mm. And he uses that to bluff his way out of being killed. And they call him out on it, too. Yeah, I love the back and forth of this because, I mean, the very beginning of it, it's, you know, well, did you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Brown, I expect you to die, (laughs) which is just like, Goldfinger is awesome in that moment because he's just like, "Uh, no, like, you're going to fucking die. That's what you're here for. See you later, you know, and uh, well, hey, you know, if if I die, they'll just send 008 to replace me. And he's like, well, I'm sure he'll do a better job. <laughs> it's like, fuck. Okay, well, he knows what I know. Oh, you don't know anything. Fuck. Okay, uh, what about Operation Grand Slam? Uh, you just, you know, two, you heard two words and that's it. They don't mean anything. Shit. Uh, like, Bob's Are you really, really going to take that chance? Yeah, and then he's like, oh, fuck. all right. Yeah, you know. It's maybe the best torture scene in the entire series, although I'm very fond of the one from The World's Not Enough. Completely different dynamic there. Much more sexual tension than there is here, even though this one's revolving around his dick. But, uh... It doesn't quite match Casino Royale for me. I don't think anything is going to match that at this point. That's that's perhaps the most brutal one. <laughs> I don't even say perhaps, it is. One. Yeah. Like this, this, one's, this one is more iconic than that one, but that one's, like, just... Like, once you've watched it, you can't unwatch it. Yeah. <laughs> The, this one makes you feel uncomfortable. Casino Royale makes you squirm in your seat and just go, no, no, uh, don't, no. <laughs> like, don't even film that. Don't even pretend to film that, you know? And that and, and that bond comes a lot, and uh, Daniel Craig's bond in that sequence comes across a lot more, um, I guess, hardy than, than uh, Sean Connery <laughs> does here. He's uh, oddly calmer and cooler and collected in that one, despite mm. uh, Bond in this one just being like, Oh no, my penis. <laughs> but uh it's great. Um and he just says, you know, we're just gonna lock you up for pretty much the whole rest of the movie. Um we get <laughs> We're talking about characters here. Let's talk about the the main Bond girl. Let's talk about one of the main allies and one of the villains. It's all three in one. It's uh Bond wakes up. Who are you? My name is Pussy Galore. And he responds, I must be dreaming. (laughs) (laughs) 
my favorite thing about this is the man almost died. Uh-huh. Wakes up, sees this woman in pussy galore, and he's just like, huh, well, since I'm not dead, we should fuck. <laughs> like, yeah. What the hell? A beautiful woman. He's not dead, so he's like, well, am I you know, in heaven? That kind of a thing. And her name's Pussy Galore. So, <sighs> so this is the um, the I guess the messenger that launched a thousand ships or something like that. Essentially, it's just the case of okay, we've given this woman a ridiculous name, so basically we can give every other Bond girl going forward a ridiculous innuendo-based name if we so wish to do. It's the thing that basically underpins every single um, Austin Powers version of the Bond girls, like the. Ivana Homplots and the Felicity Shagwells and the Dixie Normus and stuff like that. It's just, <laughs> just it's all yeah. stems from this one character, and that's why the character is so revered, essentially. Because I mean, people attribute this thing as being like a Bond trope, and there are certainly some other ones in the franchise that they've got this sort of, oh come on, nobody's named that kind of thing. We'll get to Doctor Goodhead. we'll get to uh dr christmas jones and uh, there's a very good pun in the world it's not enough that i fucking love but this is the most to use uh callum's catchphrase here egregious (laughs) of the bunch there is no questioning what they're going for with this one whatsoever her name is pussy galore Mm -hmm. there is no way in hell anybody is named pussy galore without their parents knowing what the hell they're doing. And I say that as somebody with the last name of Mango, I know full well if I have kids, I am not naming my kid anything that can go along with that. And They were trying really hard to get these notes down of, can you change the character's name to like Kitty Galore? And it's like, nope, she is Pussy Galore. And she is immune to Bond's charms because in the book she is a staunch lesbian. Oh god, that makes it even worse. And that is <laughs> oh, one no, of the. No, no, no. So. Yeah, no, right. No, go ahead. <laughs> so she Sorry. has Pussy Galore's Flying Circus. <laughs> like Monty Python's Flying Circus. I mean, it's like, it's like female cast instead. <laughs> and they don't harp on it, but knowing that fact, you then go back and you go. Oh, this is a whole troop of these lesbian pilots that are all like kind of, I guess, somewhat of like a, a I don't know, like a it's like a Caligula type thing or something. Like they're all kind of just sleeping together, I guess. Which just the well, maybe it's not the fact that they're all lesbians stuff like that. It's just the fact that because if Pussy Glory is a lesbian, then maybe she just has a penchant for hiring. The mm-hmm. blondest and bustiest female pilots that she can possibly find. Especially maybe if they've got a particularly... Legends, maybe they're just nice to look at. She's like, uh, how pointy is your chest? <laughs> it's one of those things that, like, it does not hold up well because... And it's not because she's a lesbian, of course. That's not the, the issue here. It's The issue is that they treat the lesbian character as a conquest that Bond can win over with his mighty dick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so th- so this is the <laughs> epitome of the when they say no, they really mean yes type uh, of thing, and this yeah. is and and that is so unbelievably problematic in today's. Day. Again, I know it 
you have to look at these things in context at the time that even just watching it back and just seeing how it's played out is just because it's not no. even the case of like again i don't want to spoil too much go too far ahead of it but essentially he conquers this woman who says that she's completely immune to his charms because in the book that she's a lesbian and then he gets her in the barn just they fight for a bit gets on top of her forces himself on top of her she goes along with it eventually and then through the power of his almighty dick he manages to convert her into the good side and basically foil the entire villain's plot which would have made her incredibly rich and given her a, an island in the Bahamas. Yeah. <laughs> she is firmly a so villain dickish. It's like, yeah she's a hundred percent on his side like goldfinger is her dude she is doing this plan she is gonna be rich she is going to follow through now she doesn't know the full plan as far as like uh that people are gonna die so that's that's one element but that's not the thing that turns her it's they have this back and forth and people there's this thing uh, this is going to come out kind of harsh and mean but it's just true so many actresses in the bond films if you listen to their interviews before and after the film they say Oh, you know, she was the first uh, character, the one that I played. She was really Bond's equal. And you can't have the first Bond's equal 15 times. And it's just, they they want to attribute that their character is higher ranked than what it actually is. And we'll get to, you know, Stacy, for instance, in The View to a Kill. And you could be like, oh, you know, she's, uh, she's smart and she's capable. And it's like, oh, she really isn't. And... Then you get to some other ones down the line where it's like, okay, this one legit is like Pam Bouvier is pretty much Bond's equal in a lot of ways. And Pussy Galore, credit to where, uh, you know, it's it's due. Honor Blackman knows judo because she was a part of the Avengers. And they were like, let's throw some judo in there so you, you can you know toss Bond around a little bit. And she's not dumb. She's just like, I know you're trying to fuck with me here, and I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not falling for it. And they set up this whole idea of her being like, I'm not going to fall victim to your charms. I'm not an idiot. I know that you're spying. I know that we can't trust you. I'm going to keep my gun on you. I'm going to throw you around. Like, she's a capable character. And then he just forces himself onto her and she's you no know, like get off of me. And after a kiss, I guess I'm not a villain anymore. It's absurd. It is yeah, the worst part of this movie. Hands down. Yeah, just because fundamentally it's just a terrible thing to show. You know? Yeah. It's, it's just the weakest whole plot point of this entire thing. And again, it's, it harks back to everything that we've, I've said specifically problematic about the previous two movies is that the relationship between bond and the main bond girl is not established enough Mm -hmm. like it it's like maybe again i I could be completely totally without the entire forcing on you type thing it needs to be consensual both ways if that happened then that's totally fine but there needs to be about like 20 minutes of dialogue between these no not 20 minutes but at least 15 minutes of dialogue between these two or scenes together where bond is starting to like slowly disarm her with his charm that she's supposedly immune to or maybe she's the one guarding him and he's having conversations with her through the cell door and stuff like that and she's slowly starting to see like that he's a good guy and stuff like that and maybe goldfinger isn't as always cracked up to be and then they eventually get together and then they change it whereas in this instance it's just a case of 
I don't really want to say, I don't know what to say. I don't know if I can get away with saying it. It's like, like forced sex is the way to get the victory or something like that. It's just like, it's just a, such a terrible motto mo- to go through this, really. Just in it's, case of. It's there, there's nothing about a woman who seems standoffish that can't be solved once she just lets you fuck her. <laughs> it's really it's terrible. It's just the worst kind of message to send. It's obviously it's what is it? Sixty five. Uh, obviously, sixty four. Things are different, uh, but like, no, none of this is none of this is good, and this is the reason why you have people bending over backwards now to say no no women have been taken advantage of for years because look at the message that this exact scene sends yeah like this they do have a lot of scenes together and they could have done this in a way where he slowly disarms her throughout the film and Mm. their banter gets a little bit more flirtatious and maybe maybe she lets him out of the cell for some reason and that shows that she's kind of warming up to him but instead it's mostly him being like so you you warming up to me and she's like nope until that barn scene <laughs> like they kind of establish even right before that that like when she's um yeah you know, they do the whole like the mint julep <laughs> scene which is just like oh you want a mint julep you know uh she's just like nah i'm like i'm goldfinger's girl when it comes to this plan like i'm gonna do that you can't stop me. And then the barn scene happens and it's just, it's really terrible. But I do like, for instance, I I mentioned that maybe like she could have been the one that lets him out of the, out of the jail cell. I do like the little trick he does with the card because it's so stupid. The dumbest guard ever. (laughs) He just walks up. Hey, walks away. Bomb must have disappeared because his head slumped down <laughs> yeah. below the thing. <laughs> it's like when you fool little kids by pretending like you went uh gotcha. like the elevator type of thing like yeah. Yeah, or got your nose type of thing and the the guard is just sort of like uh my voice cracked terribly the guard. Uh he's like um you know, hey. Hey, what's this guy doing? Kneeling down. I don't like the look of that. I better open up this door. <laughs> it's so stupid. One of my favorite yeah. moments of the movie. Kind of like the um afterwards we get, well because Bond goes snooping afterwards and he finds his like head in the um in in between one of the models that uh, Goldfinger has laid out in his giant big uh evil grandmaster room with all these uh, villains other well other like just crooked businessmen and just muggers and stuff like that that he's got assembled in there and you you get a, get a get a very gradual reveal of what Operation Grand Slam actually is. Well, this what gold. We got it. We got to talk about this thing because this is one of the worst parts about the movie, and one of the best. It's. Uh, I love the plan. I can't. I know it's absurd, but I just love the plan. It's just great. So Bond is checking out what this plan is. He's trying to figure out what Operation Grand Slam is all about because Goldfinger has brought on these very uh, stereotypical mobster types, you know, that that are oddly also very happy to play on the the little horse. <laughs> I thought it's funny. The other, she's like, "Hey, hey, hey!" Like he's like outside of a grocery store or something, little kid. And 
uh, Goldfinger has his line that I said at the beginning of this, you know, like uh, uh, mankind has uh, achieved miracles in every field of human endeavor except for crime. And that's, you know, basically what we're going to do here is we're going to, um, you know, I'll, I'll give you your million dollars that I owe you or I could give you 10 million uh, when my bank opens. And I love the one like banks don't open on Sundays. He's real pissed about that. <laughs> um, Goldfinger explains to these people, to Mr. Solo and everybody else, what his plan is, is uh, they've all helped him smuggle in these parts and what they're going to do is Pussy Lure is going to have her planes fly over Fort Knox with this gas that's going to knock out everybody for 24 hours. And they're going to walk in and rob Fort Knox. And people are like, oh, that sounds crazy. And other people are like, that sounds awesome and whatever. And Solo is the guy that stands up and says, I'm not into this. I just want my money and I want to leave. At this point, Goldfinger has set up a trick pool table, a giant screen, a big model, and he's given this whole presentation. None of it matters. It's completely pointless other than to let the audience know what's going on because Mr. Solo says he doesn't want to be a part of it. So you know full well when he gets sent off, that dude's dead. He is not walking out of there alive. So he goes off with Ajab, and Bond slips in a little note in his pocket of all these things that he wants to get to to Felix. He puts the tracker in there and everything, and you're like, oh, cool. Like, Felix will, you know, he'll discover this. He'll figure out what the plan is and everything. And then Goldfinger kills everybody. The ones that wanted to go along with the plan. Yeah. Well, it's it's just an indication of... Like, well, yeah, well, yeah. It's an indication that his plan wasn't to have those people involved anyway, because we know that his plan wasn't to steal the gold from Fort Knox anyway. Right. So I guess he just wanted all those people to like get on board with it, so he can keep them in one place, make sure they don't get itchy feet. So he's just describing the plan to them. Um, obviously, probably spent a huge amount of money getting this entire like elaborate, <laughs> um, this entire like flipping table, pool table, and like all these walls and things set up for something that's not actually going to end up happening to them because they're not involved in it at all. We. Because, yeah, he's got his own, like, Chinese army, essentially, that he's going to be utilizing and has, um, like, the, um, the, fi- the uh, Pussy Galore's fi- flying squadron that she that he can command as well. And so that's all he needs to deal with this. So he just wants to kill off any loose ends, which are all the people that are involved in getting him the resources that he needed in the first place. And because this one guy decided, uh, Solo decided to head off, he's got to be killed in a different way to everyone else, so. I mean, he could have just killed everybody the same way. Like, he could have just been like, all right, well, then wait here, Mr. Solo. And then everybody dies. Like, mm. there's no reason for this whole taking him away and killing him and then crushing the car and then bringing the car back. It's just, it's insane because Goldfinger, he gives a presentation basically just to have fun giving a presentation. He's Drew Gulak giving a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. <laughs> For anybody who's following the pro wrestling side of things on Smart Guy Moment. It's one of the biggest plot holes of this film. And they really should have figured out another way around that because he only does that so everybody knows what the plan is. And then later on, he explains to Bond anyway, because he's just like, yeah, my plan's not to do that. It's I'm going to plant uh, this nuclear bomb. It's going to irradiate it. And for 
decades and decades that's going to be useless. So the price of my gold is going to go up, which is a pretty damn good plan. Yeah, I, I, I love the explanation too. It was incredibly well justified. It's because they've already established the Auric Goldfinger is all just about making money and he's all just associated with the money side of it. So he's not actually, even though what he's doing is obviously very villainous and obviously a crime, it's nothing that's going to be superb. I, I, it's, it's not like it's super genocide or anything like that, or, or it's not like world domination or anything like that. He just wants to make sure that the US's gold can't be available, which will cause them economic turmoil and then makes the price of his gold go up even further. So he's just making himself more money off the back of it. Genius. And he, he can't like transport the gold. There's no way for them to do that. Bonds yeah, calls him out on it. He's just like, well, how would you possibly steal the gold from here? You'd need tons and tons of men for hours and hours and hours. You just don't have the time. You don't have the manpower for that. And it's a much better, cleaner way of doing things. Yeah, it makes a, that makes a lot of sense. That doesn't make a huge amount of sense to why Goldfinger feels so confident they can just tell the entire plan to James Bond beforehand. <laughs> but, but he wants to use, he's going to use Bond as part of this in his mind anyway. This quote unquote foolproof plan, which we've heard now twice in two movies. And it's proven to be the furthest thing for, from foolproof. This whole setup uh, leads into the Fort Knox sequence, which is the climax of the film where we get this fake out everybody dies and then turns out that they were faking passing out and that's because pussy galore had every time i say the character's name uh called washington and felix later on is just like hey what made her uh what made her do that and it's like uh bond's uh bedroom etiquette i guess but that's a it's not the best writing that she's the one that calls and they just go, oh, she called. That's what happened. Because it really would have been better if Felix would have came across that note, if that would have served a purpose. And if she would have just, you know, switched things up because she switches the the uh, the gas to one that's non-lethal and whatever. And uh, <laughs> to, to get the people to do this scene, they were filming them and they told everybody, like, we'll get you um, like some drinks and like 10 bucks. You just pretend like you're passing out. And they were all like, this is stupid. And it looks pretty stupid. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's not the worst looking thing that they do in any of these movies by far. I mean, later on, we'll get to uh, Bond surfing on a glacier. Um, but this whole Fort Knox thing, they obviously they couldn't film in Fort Knox because nobody is allowed in Fort Knox, including the president. I didn't know about that. The president is not allowed inside Fort Knox. Well, depending well, on certain, thing, on some, honest, yeah, yeah, depending on some of the presidents, yeah, that sounds like the, the right <laughs> thing to do. So what they did is they went to go try to film there, and they were told like, "Hey, you can't film here." So they started taking still photography of just like to get like you know reference photos, and uh, producer Cubby Broccoli basically walked around and said. Uh, you hear what this guy's saying? You can't film there and there and there. And kept blocking the guy taking the photos. <laughs> so just be like, yeah, you can't shoot that. Take a picture. Like that kind of thing. So the inside looks obviously nothing at all like what Fort Knox looks like. But people don't really know what Fort Knox looks like. So they were like, fuck it. Let's just get, make it have gold all over the place, which it makes no sense whatsoever. But it looks amazing. It's a great set. It's like this cathedral 
type of thing. And you can just pick up blocks and throw them at people in this, uh, you know, it's just a place like Fort Knox just has it where you can just grab them. Yeah. Fantastic fight sequence with Ajab where he yep. is throwing the hat. Bond's trying to hit him with the these uh, gold bricks and he just doesn't budge. So take that, Red Grant. You can kick a brass knucks to the stomach while Ajab can take a gold brick to the chest and not even wince. Yeah. I love the whole sequence leading up to it, which essentially... So they all get trapped in the vault because they decide to close it up because the um, the U.S. military are now starting to attack uh, Goldfinger's men. So there's now a shootout going on there. So they decide, okay, we've got to lock Bond and uh, Odd Job and this other guy. I can't remember what his uh, name was. The other like um, like little like henchman with a name they had in there. And so they're all trapped in the vault with an atomic bomb. And so the other guy's trying to get out of it because he doesn't want to he doesn't want to die. He's trying to get out of this. He wants to shut the bomb off. So Oddjob just throws him off the balcony. <laughs> just fall plummets to his death. And because he's the one that had the keys, the one that tied uh handcuffed Bond to the atomic bomb, Bond can use that to get his hands free. And then they have this great fight sequence with Oddjob. And it eventually leads to a lot of hat throwing and hat missing. And then you get to the one point where Bond decides, oh, you, you think at that point Bond's got the hat, so Bond's going to use his own weapon against him. And then he just misses and just hits the steel bars. And you kind of feel, okay, what's going to happen here at this point? Because Bond's Bond, again, has shown an element of ineptitude that you don't really expect from him at this point. At what point, uh, were, Rob, when you, you were watching this, thing? did you think that that was going to happen, that he was going to throw the hat and kill Ajab? Yeah, I thought it just makes sense, you know? He he dies that way, and it's kind of poetic justice. I didn't expect him to get shocked, you know. Neither did Harold Sakata. He got burnt <laughs> when they were filming oh, this. Fuck. Yeah, he uh, really? he kind of held on in a way that he shouldn't have, and he burned himself a little bit, which is a shame. Oh, what, do you mean, what do you mean held out to? You mean they were using real electricity to go on those steel balls? They were doing something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just, it just seems ridiculous to me. It's like. You know you can fake this shit, right? I mean, the yeah. idea that like, the, like they were telling uh, Connery earlier that you can fake a, a golf ball being smashed in someone's hands. It's like also you can fake electric, like bars being electrocuted and stuff like that, so a guy doesn't actually get burnt doing this. Yeah, he uh, whatever the pyrotechnics that they did, he ended up getting a little bit burnt through it. Mm. Nothing that like you know was like uh, life threatening or whatever, but he he did get a little bit uh, injured and. That's uh, that's his death. Uh, it's a great death because the villain gets his comeuppance through his own weapon, but in a way that's innovative because that steel rim just acts as a conductor and we get, I guess, the closest thing to dialogue from Ajab, which is just, ah! <laughs> um, I love it so much. It's one of my favorite uh, character deaths in the whole franchise. Yeah, it's a great moment. I know we're not done with this film yet, but I feel comfortable saying that minus the pussy galore nonsense, this could be the most complete Bond film ever. There are some uh, some ones that I think are better overall, but this is this is definitely one of those. Uh, you, you check off a lot of things like a oh, great villain, great henchman, great you know, great death with this, great that. 
and um, Harold Cicada uh, was so well known from this that he went on to keep playing the odd job character in a series of commercials where he, he's not he's not odd job but he's odd job like he clearly is dressed like odd job he's the same guy he's the same everything like that but he is like just this kind of like happy go lucky type of odd job which is like this alternate reality of oh, what a nice guy in a top hat kind of thing like take up a life of crime this is what odd job would be doing yeah he'd be you know celebrating with uh kids and stuff just like I forget the name of the guy, uh, like the character from these the series of commercials, but he's just this like this nice dude. So it's, a, it's an interesting to ch- thing to check out. Uh, they stop the uh, the bomb. Bond doesn't stop the bomb because Bond can't do a whole lot well in this movie, and it stops at 007. The guy just flips the switch. Is like this is just what you do to turn it off. You just hit the off button. And there's a botch here because he goes, oh, three more ticks and Mr. Goldfinger would have hit the jackpot. Oh, there's no three more ticks. It's 007. But that's because originally it was, they filmed it as that it ends at 003. And then they realized, well, why is it ending at 003 if we could end it at 007? Because haha, wouldn't that be funny? So it just makes no sense. I tried as a kid. I was like, three more ticks. Is it like, does it tick every other second? No, that would be six seconds left. And I was like, just like, why do they? And it's just a botch. (laughs) Fair enough. Yeah, just uh, just something that was just, I guess, they had they had the line written. It's like, um, during just like any circumstances where they just have a little bit of an edit, a little bit of play around with it later on after, and then not change the scripts going back on it. Well, the dubbing that they do, you think that they shouldn't have just uh, had him say a few more ticks and whatever, like that. Mm. They could have pulled that off. Instead, nah, three more. Who cares? Maybe, maybe they in their mind a tick is a different measurement of time, which is something like two point one seconds or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it only ticks uh, three times when it gets to one second left. <laughs> but you think that the movie's over, but you haven't killed off Goldfinger yet, so. Bond is going to go see the president who wants to thank Bond personally for a job that Felix writes off as like, ah, it was nothing. It's like, you didn't really do anything, Felix. And um, there's a great little moment here where he says, I told the stewardess liquor for three. Oh, who are the other two? Oh, there are no other two. <laughs> Bond's just <laughs> well, that much of a, yeah. And it turns out that the crew on the plane have been captured and they're tied up. They are awake and then they're asleep it's just that they reverse the shots by accident and goldfinger is on the plane with a villain who disappears and just fades into nothingness he he's never addressed he's never dispatched he doesn't leave the plane he just it, it doesn't exist anymore and pussy glory is flying the plane because why not i guess and uh they allude to something from earlier where pussy glory had the gun trained on bond in the plane and he had said you know if you shoot me here it's going to depressurize the whole thing and by the way i like the little part where he's getting changed in the um uh the bathroom and the the ones spying on him so he just <laughs> fucks with her a little bit by putting like the briefcase up and whatever i like the little reference to for much with love too he's like you know did you find my case and she's like oh that got damaged when it was being looked at i'm sorry you know <laughs> um 
but Goldfinger's there, and he's like, so, where's uh, Pussy Glory? And he goes, oh, she's right over there, and points to Gun and Bond. She's just like, all right, I'm going to attack you now. And he shoots, and the, the pressurization works, because Goldfinger, his uh, his giant frame gets sucked out of the airplane. No, like, okay, look. I don't care what they didn't know about the way that things that fly and are in the sky work and gravity and all that. That that man is too fat to fit through that window, okay? (laughs) It just doesn't work. What's more about this odds about that he's the one, the super fat guy, the one who's light enough to fly into the air and basically go into orbit while Bond is firmly attached to the ground pretty much for this entire sequence. That's because he's a gentleman. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. It's one of the worst ones. I mean, it's a ridiculous death. It's just like the the camera trigger. I know, obviously, it's the special effects of the time, and so you can't rag on it too much. But the fact that he's just like, it's just a body, like just that's clearly being projected on some sort of green screen or something like that, just flying through the air, then just gradually being sucked through a window. It's yeah, like it, you don't it, even get to see him like fall fall through the air or anything like that. He just like he goes through the window and then he's gone. Obviously, yeah. like he's dead. You know he's dead, but it's like you ever see those airhead cool commercials, just... like where the the airhead just bursts because <laughs> they're out of control. That's what this guy does. He just bursts. It's not the most gruesome. Somebody getting thrown out of an airplane death in the franchise. Know, yeah. uh, we we get somebody with a boot. We get somebody that gets grizzly just. Uh, torn to pieces. We get uh, we get a, we get a lot of jumping out of a plane type deaths. Now that I'm thinking about it. There's at least like six more that we gotta do. Um, but it is the stupidest as far as like just the way that he is floating around, just like whoa. <laughs> Listen, a decent enough line where she's like, "Where's Goldfinger?" And he's like, oh, "He's playing his golden harp." <laughs> uh, but they land. Safely. Well, they don't. <laughs> to a certain extent. I mean, I mean, they get out in the parachute and the plane yeah. explodes the second it hits the water. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, everybody knows that when planes get wet, they explode. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, as soon as like two tires go off a car on a cliff, it immediately has to spontaneously combust. That's, that's like the rules in James Bond land. I don't know how well your cars work, but that's how... <laughs> All my cars and all my planes in the past. Yeah, sure. It was the uh, 60s, I guess. Yeah. Uh, they made things differently back then. You know, you could get a, a toaster was like it lasted forever and a microwave was terribly radioactive and your uh, your airplanes spontaneously blow up when they hit water. So It's all because of the Beatles, you know. That's that's what happened. That's the problem. They didn't listen to them with uh, the earmuffs on. <laughs> that's right. So... Instead of being rescued, Bond just says, no, this isn't time to be rescued. And, you know, what's uh... again, again, he does it again, though. She's trying to get rescued. And he's like, no, no. Round number two. You stupid woman. We're going to fuck. Like, what is this? So that's how the movie ends. And it just goes from, you know, uh, it's not not time to be rescued. Let's uh, let's have sex and work. And it's like, whoa, okay, that's the end of the movie. Because that's been the way the only other ones have ended so far. It's just, it's always Bond having sex. It's the, it's the final clip we see of the movie. So, pretty much all the films end in some fashion yeah. like that. 
some of them better than other ones. This is not my favorite one when it ends uh, that way, but uh, it's like we said, lots of problems in this movie, but it is still one of the best. It's really, really good, though. Again, if it wasn't for that pussy glower nonsense and some other things, like I would have preferred Bond to not be so incompetent at times, but this is a very good James Bond film. Yeah, it's, I mean, you, you can obviously see why it has such an iconic status. So many things taken from this movie basically paint a lot of what we come to expect of James Bond movies and the franchise going forward and what other people lampoon and parody and sequences going forward as well. But it's got good gadgets, it's got good car ch- chase sequences, it's got like a couple of like a couple of really good villains. Like it's got the main like overseer villain who's very crafty and tactical and the the big muscle head that's just gonna be like your hired gun essentially that's just gonna do everything that the uh, villain itself can't do. And yeah, Bond is strong in terms of just like some of the witty side of things. I actually kind of like the fact that he's a little bit incompetent in this one because I don't, when I think of Bond, obviously I think of someone who's obviously incredibly good at his job because he wouldn't be a double agent if he wasn't, but he's not someone who is a perfectionist by any stretch of the imagination. So I don't mind him being caught in compromising situations every now and again and still managing to find a way out of it. But the thing that I can't shake is this, this whole pussy galore stuff. It's just... It's very, very. Again, I don't want to be the sort of guy who just says like everything that he does with the women so far. It's just like it's not even the fact that like the way that he talks to women because you know Bond's a dick and Bond's just he only cares about getting his dick wet and so you kind of <laughs> go with that side of it in you go with that foresight in mind. But I just want like interaction. I want these characters to actually give me the reason why they're changing their minds or why they're doing things they're doing. Just like Bond's only interaction with these women is when he just about before he's going to fuck them and then just after he's fucked them. That's kind of like the only that's the only time we actually hear him actually talk to these women. So it's like we need a bit more. I think that's what makes his relationship with Money Penny so good. It's like you can see that there's more there. Well, more hasn't come yet. Still Connery. I- <laughs> All right, Tony, wrap it up. <laughs> and he'll be coming a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll talk about Octopussy. Uh, <laughs> wrapping this up, uh, let's go through the seven elements again. The allies. We got M, we've got Felix, we've got Money Penny, we got Q. Thumbs up on all of them except for a thumbs down on Felix for me. Yep, same. Yeah, and I would almost say almost an overall thumbs down just because the interactions with M and Moneypenny and Q are so light and Felix is a moron. So, ah, I agree with you guys. I'll give a thumb up to the caddy too. Forgot about him. Oh yeah, he's good. Uh, The girls, we got uh, Jill, we got Dink, we got Tilly, we got Pussy, we got um, the the old grandma, (laughs) I guess technically speaking. Uh, she's the, the best. Got um, the one in the, the opening sequence. I think uh, Benita was her name. She uh, she's I guess one of the femme fatales of the movie, although Pussy Galore's more so. We got uh, the Pussy Galore's Flying Circus. We've got the um, flight attendants. The yeah, the flight attendant. We've got the woman at the hotel. 
uh, with a key. You know, uh, generally speaking, it's mostly Jill, Tilly, and Pussy Galore. Uh, Jill doesn't serve too much of a purpose. She's just a sacrificial lamb, one of the sacrificial lambs. But I like her because she's she's got a, like a goofy sort of side to her. Like I like when Bond just sort of grabs her and you know pushes her away of like hey, this topic because she's like, uh, like uh, don't go too early, like that kind of thing. Like you know, let's let's, uh, let's screw somewhere. Men, men talk. Men, men talk. <laughs> I like Jill a lot. I like Tilly, and I really wish that she, like, if you could combine some elements of Tilly and Pussy Galore and rewrite the Pussy Galore character a little bit, like, there's a better version of this movie for sure. And I feel bad about Tilly. Yeah, I think that her death should have come off a lot more profound than it did. Yeah. Yeah, they really write her off, like, if she didn't matter. And of course, we already talked Pussy Galore. She is not done justice with the way that they wrote uh, no. how she's no, written. I, I, I kind of have to give the girls overall, even though there are obviously some iconic scenes involved in them. It's, it's a thumbs down for me. I just think that they're all characterized in a pro- in, ineffectively and inappropriately in certain instances as well. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree. I've said it a couple times now that this is the low point of the films how especially how they use pussy but uh, at the same time it's almost like she is such an iconic character and does fill in so many of these tropes that almost like mission accomplished so i don't know as far as just pure sex appeal and the way that they're marketing the movie and all that this is the high point for me at this point because I think all three of them, just fundamentally, as you're talking about, like, you know, hey, let's get these people to go see a movie with these attractive women. They're all beautiful women. You know, Honor Blackman is just, yeah, you can't go wrong with uh, the three actresses that you got there. So thumbs up on that. Thumbs down on the uh, the gross <laughs> misogyny on that thing. Major thumbs up on the gadgets. Uh, it's unfortunate that the tracking beacon doesn't work out better, but that's just one of those things. But the car is one of the best cars. They could have fixed that ejector seat, though. Yeah, I think um, I think overall the car just having so many things to do with it. Honestly enough, the, the real gadget that gets the real shine in this movie is that tracking beacon. That's used pretty much throughout the movie. Like you see Bond putting it in his shoe and stuff like that, and you see him tracking Goldfinger and putting it in the um, uh, Solo's pocket as he goes through his uh, inevitable demise. Like that one is actually the thing that gets more exposure than the car, which gets destroyed halfway through the movie. The music didn't talk much about the score, but the score is just kind of there. Just variations of that, isn't it? Just variations of the Goldfinger thing. Sometimes the, it's a little the, annoying because it's just like, bah, 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 and you're just kind of like, ah, my, my ear's kind of <laughs> bleeding a little bit, but the I theme like is the amazing. It. I kind of like the way they pace it throughout. Where, like, when there is the car chases, there's a more bombastic version of it, and when there's the um, like just transition scenes, it's a bit more of like just a subtle like play under it. But it's just it's one of the, if not the iconic Bond theme, so that's a huge thumbs up for me. Yeah, like we said in the beginning, iconic theme song. I didn't, I think now that they've established 
what they're doing with the music and there's no well that was out of place and you know here's a goofy three blind mice this all seemed to fit yeah thankfully there's no three blind mice type of thing with the beatles in this instead uh the title of the movie goldfinger it's kind of named after the villain the same way that dr no was not my favorite uh title but then again, you got to have a certain suspension of disbelief. The character's name is Ulrich Goldfinger, and he happens to be a gold-obsessed person. It's a little on the nose. But uh, if they would have gone with some kind of like, all that glitters is gold type of thing, I don't think it would work as well. Goldfinger is a snappy enough title. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. The action, the humor... Mostly thumbs up for me. I do, I do think that it's a little lacking midway through the movie where most of the film is Bond just kind of like sitting around waiting to get to the next part after he's been captured. But overall, I mean, it's not the most boring of the Bond films or anything. And there's some really good lines. Yeah, there's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot of um, good humor in it. Um, I think... The action scenes, they are, like you say, they're a bit spread out. There are a few sequences where Bond's just either driving around or he's like like um, stalking the base or things like that, or just he's being captured and he's just waiting around, like you say. But when the action scenes do happen, they're all kind of really well shot. Again, some of them are unintentionally funny with the ejector seat and all this other stuff in the car chase and the failed chicken attempt. So he just drives an Aston Martin into a brick wall for some reason. But uh but yeah, overall, the action and the humor worked for me. Humor was good. Loved the fight scene with Ajab. And even if some of the other scenes are a little less than, that really makes up for it, for me at least. So overall, uh, how's this ranking for you? Is it uh, shaken or is it stirred? It's definitely shaken. Uh from what we've seen right now, this is S tier, which <laughs> says a lot. You know, th- this was fantastic. It's shaken for me, but I, d- I don't put it significantly higher than the other two movies just because I want to see more characterization from other people besides just Bond and a couple of the villains. The villains and Bond are good in this side of things, and I think the action and stuff makes up for it, but I need there to be more from especially the the bond girl side of things at this point shaken for me it's one of the ones that i i appreciate a lot i don't um i don't pop this in anytime that i want to watch a bond film there's at least a good five to ten that i would kind of not ten that's 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 too much of that there's at least five more that i would watch above this one but every so often, every couple of years, I go back, I rewatch this one, and I, I enjoy it pretty much every time. It's It's got its problems. They all have their problems. Some of them have problems with story, some of them with pacing, some of them with, we're going to get into like free rise only, where the music is terrible. But um, this is one that I think it deserves its high spot on a lot of people's rankings. But I do have to say, when people say it's the best, I think it's outclassed at some point. And we'll get to that eventually, but not really in the next one. 
Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that when we get to it. But before we wrap things up, let's just uh, remind everybody what you can do is, of course, you can tell us your thoughts on Goldfinger. Drop them in the comments below. If you're listening to us on a platform that's not the YouTube side of things, tweet at Fanboys Anonymous or, or it's at Fanboys Anon, technically. Um, post something on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fanboys Anonymous. Post something on the page on fanboysanonymous.com as well. I don't know when you're going to be hearing this necessarily because we're recording on January 19th, but I am spacing these out to once a week. And I know at the very least that you're not going to hear, for instance, from Rush With Love until at least February 5th or so, at least currently what the plan is. So, um, yeah, tell us your thoughts. Maybe something's changed in the meantime. And if we maybe change our opinions, we'll let you know in the comments below too. But you can also check out everything else that we've got happening, obviously on the mango tree side of things. If you are interested in the pro wrestling stuff, go to smartoutmoment.com and you'll find everything that's happening over there. These guys have plenty of things happening in the world of pro wrestling that they're involved in. Callum, tell us what's going on with the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast, if people want to listen to that. Yeah, so if you're heading over to the Smart Cut Moment channel and check out uh, the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast, which goes out every single Saturday, and it's our, me and Rob go back in time to the year 2002 and 2003 to review every episode of Smackdown that Paul Heyman was the head writer for. We're in the a bit of the closing st- stages right now, so next episode will be past the world. Past the Royal Rumble will be the first show after that, which features a big return of a legendary superstar in the company, including and some really good matches involving all members of Team Angle taking on, in one form or another, Rey Mysterio, Chris Benoit, and Edge. So there's a lot of things to look forward to there. Uh, other than that, just check out all the great articles on smartcatmoment.com if you are so inclined to watch the wrestling side of things. And you can follow me on Twitter at Wigmeister14. All right, and you can... Check out everything I've got going on at Fightful.com. I'm still over at WrestleZone.com. I would implore that you all subscribe to Fightful Select. If you do enjoy the wrestling side of things, that is the Fightful premium service. It breaks a lot of news, helps the writers get paid. So, you know, all that stuff's good. Uh, I, again, don't know when this is dropping, but there is a ton of wrestling going on always. There'll be a 24-hour stream on January 28th, that will be for GCW, uh, benefiting all the independent superstars. There's the Royal Rumble on the 31st. There's the there's just a bunch of wrestling always. So just click around, follow me on Twitter, and you'll see everything I got going on. And then you can follow me at Tony Mango. Voice see what else voice. is happening. Yeah, voice cracking a lot today, I guess. I don't know. So. Uh... Something we'll address by at least, uh, I don't know, maybe um, Beautiful Kill. <laughs> uh, but I would love to do more of uh, different things on Fanboys. And if you would love us to do more of different things on Fanboys, then let me know and we'll factor that in. At the very least, we know we've got plenty more Bond films coming your way because this podcast will return with Thunderball. Thunderball.